Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tell you what, if I was as talented as some of these people here, you couldn't shut me up. Stand with me just briefly tonight. We are always uh, honoring God's Word by standing when we read it uh, most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. We've been on a series called Spiritual Gifts. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but the last time we talked about it was over a month ago. And uh, we, we've been doing other things, had other speakers, but I want to just bring us up kind of where we're at and then get back into uh, uh, the thrust of where we're going with this. I believe in a supernatural God. And God is supernatural. He's always been supernatural. He shall always be supernatural. We may create God in our image, but uh, that's not who he is. We're created in his image. We don't create him in our image. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have your Bible, uh, turn there. You may want to stay there for the duration of, of the night. The Apostle Paul is uh, speaking to the church. Now, the church at Corinth, Corinth is in Greece. Most of it, we believe, was probably a Gentile church, although I'm sure there were many uh, Jewish uh, believers there also. But he begins in verse 4. He says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one... And the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, before you're seated, look with me at verse 7, because he says, The Spirit is giving to each one to profit everyone. Say this with me, each one. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit, no respecter of person, how many believe God is no respecter of person, that, that the Holy Spirit endows us and empowers us with spiritual gifts. Now, when we drop down to verse number 11, but one and the same Spirit, that self-same Spirit, works all these things, distributing to each one. Now, how, how, how do we see this? Well, we have to see it the way the, the Scripture reveals it to us. This each one and every one is receiving as he individually desires and wills in our life. So I don't choose, you don't choose. How many of you know he chooses, but he chooses to give us, everyone, something supernatural that we can use in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our time together. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, to know what spiritual gifts are, sometimes you need to know what they're not. So let's kind of do a little review tonight very quickly. They're not earthly or natural gifts. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're not learned through our own intellect, our own talent. They're not produced by our own efforts. They're not solely for our individual benefit. But spiritual gifts are. They're grace gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me stop here just for a minute. When you see this word gift and, and grace gift in the New Testament, it is the Greek word charis where we get the word charismatic. It means you didn't do anything to earn the gift. I didn't do anything to earn the gift. It's not by my works. I don't produce it. But the Holy Spirit endows us with grace gifts, and that's what he's talking about here. Their endowments and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they're dispersed and gifted into people's lives as God wills or as he sits, sees fit. Now, whose lives are these gifts empowered and invested in? It's those who are in the body of Christ that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
that's you and I. So we're believing that God works through us and he wants to work through us. Now, we talked about two pillars or two foundational things of spiritual gifts and they're unity and love. Uh, matter of fact, if you go to Ephesians 4, you see that. You also see it in the middle of the grace gifts or the spiritual gifts. We have the beginning of the gifts in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. We have them again in chapter 14. But right in the middle of that, what do we have? We have the love chapter. And he inserts the love chapter in the middle of it because this is what Paul knows. This is what we must know. The Holy Spirit works in unity. The day of Pentecost comes along. They're in one mind, one accord in the upper room, and the Spirit begins to move. The, the, there was a commonality there, 120 in the upper room. And then in, in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, he, he says that, that we're endeavoring to keep the bond and the, and the spirit of unity and peace in the church. How many of you know you have to try to keep unity? Amen. And you try to have to keep peace because we're human and we, we, we rub each other the wrong way every once in a while. How many of you had, ever, ever had a little friction with somebody? Y'all are so holy. Listen, you, you can hardly get through a day without some friction. But we, we have the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace, trying to keep the unity together. So unity and love, they're the two foundations of the pillars of spiritual gifts. Now look at verse 7. So drop down with me, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit, or the Spirit will reveal this way, given to every man to profit with all, to one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit. Now, a lot of times these gifts are really grouped into three categories. There's the revelation gifts, the power gifts, and the gifts of utterance. So we're going to kind of do that tonight. Uh, they're not necessarily in orders as given in Scripture, but it kind of helps us to, to know the, the categories of the gifts. So the first thing we're going to do is the revelation gifts. We did two last time, and then we'll get to the third one. Our revelatory gifts, they are the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. So let's go back, revisit this one called the Word of Wisdom. Now the Word of Wisdom, or the utterance of wisdom, is the ability to discern and apply the mind of Christ and scriptural truths in such a way to make right choices, right decisions for individuals and the body of Christ. It is a supernatural revelation. It's wisdom that comes to us, not out of our own intellect or our own learning, but it comes through the Holy Spirit. It is usually fragmentary. Now, why would we say fragmentary? Do you remember what Paul said about prophecy? He said, we know in part and we prophesy in part. I think we would say that to every spiritual gift. Now, why would we say that? Because God does not just envelop us with total wisdom, total knowledge, total power, and Paul says we just get glimpses. In one place he said we see through a glass darkly. We're getting images, we get, get part of it, but how many of you believe with me we don't get all of it? And so it is usually fragmentary. It is information and knowledge applied. Now we're going to get to the word of, of knowledge here in a minute, but wisdom is how do you apply that? How do you work that in? How, how do you put it into application? It's for solution and remedy. Wisdom is for solution and remedy. Now we go to the word of knowledge. The ability to receive, seek out, gather, and, and know facts and information for the sake of receiving this information 
but not just for that personal benefit of one person, but it's beneficial for everyone and for somebody else. Now, I'm not saying it's not beneficial for you and me personally, because sometimes we get some knowledge that we need. But it's not just for us. How many of you know spiritual gifts is for all of us? It's to profit everyone. And uh, it guards against pride, and we have to guard against pride and arrogance. It's always for the profit, edification, and the strengthening of the body of Christ. Let me just insert something here. Have you ever been in a difficult situation or you were looking for information, and after the fact, someone came up to you and said, well, I already knew that. This happened to me in the church before. I'm dealing with something or we have an issue in the church. And then someone comes up and says, well, I could have told you that. You know what I usually say? Well, why didn't you tell me when I needed to know it? You know, don't give it to me after it's too late. Give it to me when we need it. Folks, we, we need wisdom in the church. Amen? We need knowledge in the church. We need to know how to go, where to go, who to go with, who, who, who to, you know, uh, to look at here, who needs help over here. How, how do we build? How do we move? How, how do we go forward? We need wisdom and we need knowledge. And folks, we can receive that from the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we believe in this. Now, let, let's move very quickly here. Here's a new one we haven't uh, got into. The gift of discernment. Say that with me. The gift of discernment. Go to verse 10. You're, you're there in chapter 12. Go to verse 10. The ability to perceive whether a person's actions originate from godly, satanic, or human sources. What does the gift of discernment do for us? It reveals the intention and the source through revelation. It can guard against the counterfeit. Most of the time, when we see the spirit of discernment, it is revealing someone's intent of their heart or their purpose. How many of you know, God's spirit moves and reveals, and we are moved by the spirit of God, but some people are moved by their own spirit. They're, they're moved out of their own humanity. So we have to say, okay, is this the Lord or is this them speaking out of their own heart, their own humanity? And uh, there's another thing to throw in here. We could say, or is this satanic? Because the enemy can speak. The enemy can begin to pose himself as something that he's not. Let me show you something. Second Corinthians. Listen as I read. If you want to hold your place there in 1 Corinthians. This is chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. But what I do, now this is Paul speaking. He said, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things which they boast. Now, I want you to catch what he's saying. He said, now here's what we are. This is what we're doing. Other people are wanting the same opportunity to be what we are and do what we're doing. Now let me finish the verse. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Now, a couple of things here he's saying. 
He says, number one, there are false what? Apostles. You can't have a false apostle unless there's a real apostle. How many believe that? You can't have counterfeit money unless there's real money. So he, he says they're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. Now they're workers, but they're deceitful. Their motivation's wrong, their intent's wrong, and the word deceit means what are they trying to do? They're trying to trick somebody. They're trying to appear as something they're really not. Now he goes on to say, he says they're transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So you know the wolf never comes up and says, I'm a wolf. I could figure that out. The wolf doesn't come and say, I'm a wolf. I'm going to blow your house down. You know what Jesus said? The wolf comes to you in what? In sheep's clothing. He comes to kill, steal, destroy. But if we knew who he was, we would just say, you're not going to come in here. But, but he's a sneaky devil. He's a tricky devil. Now, notice here, he said it's no great thing. Notice in verse 15. It's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Does that verse mean that there are ministers, there are servants of the enemy that are appearing as servants of righteousness? Could it be, your attention please, they're standing in pulpits and churches and positions all over the world, but the intent of their heart is wrong? That they're there for the wrong reason. They're there for the wrong purpose. They're doing it for money. They're doing it for power. They're doing it for glory. They're doing it for position. But they're not doing it as a servant of Jesus Christ. Guarantee you that's true. Not only are they doing that for their own humanistic reason to glorify themselves, to receive that, that uh, reflection of glory and, and have it reflected back to them. Isn't that why Satan got kicked out of heaven? If that's the reason he got out of, out of heaven, I mean, he's booted out of glory, would it be kind of a thing to think about maybe that same characteristic is following on to his servants and his ministers? This is what I found out. Most people who are really legitimate and genuine, they're not wanting the glory. They're not wanting the accolades. They're not wanting to be set up. They're kind of like Moses. You got to go find a Moses, you know? Got to go find a Peter. Got to go find a Paul. They're, they're not out there saying, choose me, choose me, choose me. But there's a lot of people in the world that way. Choose me, choose me, choose me. So here he's saying that we have to be careful because they can transform themselves. Now, now notice this last line. He said, according to the works. Everybody say works. Now how will you know them? You'll know them by their works. Jesus said this. He said, you'll know them by the fruit. So how do you know what kind of tree it is? You know the tree by the fruit. You check the fruit. You'll know what kind of tree it is. So he says, we've got to be careful that we don't fall into this because we need the spirit of discernment. You say, well, I just don't think we'd be deceived. Let me give you another little tidbit here. Jesus said this. The word of God declares this. He said, in the last days, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Now, I don't know how you feel about yourself tonight. I don't know how elect you feel. Sometimes I don't feel too elect. But he said, if it were possible, 
Even the very elect would be deceived. Do you realize there are lying wonders out there? That when we get to the last days and the end times, and you read the book of Revelation, the Bible says that the beast and the false prophet are calling fire down from heaven and working miracles in the sight of people. Let me tell you what I know about the church. I've been in it a long time, about 40 years. There's a lot of people who are miracle followers. I'm not against miracles. We're going to talk about them in just a minute. But the proof is not in the miracle. The proof is in the fruit and the works. Right? You say, well, I don't believe that, Pastor. Well, believe Jesus then. Have we not done many mighty works in your name? Haven't we done this and we done that and done this and done that? You know what Jesus said? Depart from me, for I never knew you. If your concept of church is in miracles, signs, and wonders, you are set up to be deceived. Well, it's quiet in here. But we believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. But you've got to watch the fruit. You've got to watch the works. And sometimes, because of this gift of the Holy Spirit, we need help discerning the thought and the intent of people's hearts. Because, you see, I see your outside. You see my outside. I don't know what your thought and intent is. But how many of you know God knows the thought and the intent of every heart? And the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us. Isn't that a wonderful gift? Um, chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Now that's in verses 9 and 10. And so we're moving from gifts of revelation or gifts of the revelatory to gifts that are powerful or we, we call them power gifts. So notice what he says here in verses 9 and 10. Uh, gifts of faith, gifts of healing, and the working of miracles. So let, let's look at this gift of faith. The gift of faith is different than common faith or we would say saving faith. How many of you know it takes faith to get saved? Romans chapter 12, verse 3, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Everybody here has faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Or you can reject Jesus Christ. But everybody here has faith to believe in Jesus. Without faith to believe in Jesus, you couldn't believe in Jesus. So you have the option. You have the choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. So I believe in choice, and, and we, we need to get down that in our spirit because we're living in a time today where some people say, well, it doesn't make any difference, you know, it's all determined from the beginning, and, you know, you don't, you don't have anything to do with it. Well, goodness gracious, then what are all these verses about choosing then? We, we can choose. The Lord's already chose for you, but you've got to choose for you. How many of you know when Jesus went to the cross, he chose you? But you've got to respond to him. You've got to respond in faith. So notice this. Th this gift of faith is different than common faith or saving faith because God's given to every person the measure of faith. The gift of faith is the distinct ability, the supernatural ability to believe God for what is unseen and impossible through human efforts alone. I want to read to you Romans 4. And Romans 4 is speaking about Abraham. Now, why would you talk about Abraham? Because Abraham is called the father of faith. Notice this, Abraham, who contrary to hope, 
in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. Why did he believe? Because he heard what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Wow. Sometimes I feel bad at 60-something. Oh, Abe, he was 100. He kind of felt like it was over, huh? And the deadness of Sarah's womb, verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Not that Abraham was able to perform, but God was able to perform. How many of you feel like the job is too big for you? Life is too big for you. The ministry is too big for you. The calling is too big for you. Sometimes I feel like that way. God, this is too big for me. But listen, I believe in a big God, don't you? And so we're believing that he is able. And Abraham said, you know, I look at myself. Oh, I look at myself and I think, you know, that can't happen. But notice this. He didn't just look at himself. The Bible says he looked at Sarah. <laughs> it wasn't just looking at him, but he looked at Sarah and said, boy, if it's bad enough for me, look at her. She's, she's bad shape too. But he's not looking at himself. He's not looking at her. He kept looking at God. Now, the Bible says that he believed because of what God said. You know what faith is? Faith is believing what God says. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we're believing the word of God, and so we're believing that God can do something supernatural. We're believing in faith. Now, we, we all have faith. We have faith to see things happen. But some people have such faith. They're believing God for great, mighty, supernatural things. You know what? It, it takes faith to raise a family. It takes faith to run a church. It takes faith to believe God for things that we haven't seen yet, right? So we're, we're walking in faith. We're operating in faith. And the Holy Spirit helps us to have supernatural faith. And some people literally walk in the gift of faith. Here's another one. Gifts of healing. Notice what he said. Gifts of healing. Now notice the word gifts. Everybody say gifts. This is the only gift listed with these nine that has an S on the end of it. Do you notice it? It's the only gift listed here that's in plurality. Why would Paul write this in plurality? Now, we believe the Holy Spirit moved upon holy men to write the Bible. We believe that here? Why would the Holy Spirit tell Paul to put an S on gifts here in this category here? And I tell you why. Because all gifts don't operate the same. They're diversities. He says up, you know, further on. But in this particular gifts of healing, all healings don't happen the same way, do they? So I think that's why it's in plurality. It's the ability to be used by God as a human intermediary by which divine supernatural power is applied in healing people's needs. Now, we're actually doing this in a class on Sunday morning. Do you realize that you're created in the image of God? And you are threefold in nature. You are body, you are soul, and you are spirit. You can be sick in all three of those areas. One or the other, or one and good in the two, or, or sick in all three. When Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, 
By his stripes we are healed. In Matthew chapter 8, the Bible reveals that that prophetic word was fulfilled in the life of Jesus when he went into Peter's house and found Peter's mother-in-law with a fever sick. Now, your attention please. He goes in and lays his hands on Peter's mother-in-law because she's sick bodily, has a fever. She gets up and begins to serve them. Then it says people begin to bring people who are possessed with devils. People had different infirmities. In that one passage, Jesus is healing people who have physical sicknesses, sickness in their soul, and sickness in their spirit. And at the end of that exchange, it says, And he fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he came to heal our infirmities. Isn't that amazing? In that one instance, he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53. By his stripes we are healed. Now this is what you're going to hear people say. Well, now pastor, that's just in salvation. That's just, we, we need healing, you know, in this. But he doesn't heal physically anymore. Really? 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 How many of you know he can do whatever he wants to do? He's still the supernatural, miraculous God. Now, so the gifts of healing, what do they do? They bring soundness, wholeness, and health to the body of Christ, exalting the name of Jesus. So we're not the healer. How many of you know he's the healer? We just heard a song about that a while ago. He's the healer. Healing does not always happen the same way. It's not always administered the same way. In some cases, Jesus spoke the word for healing, and the person who was sick wasn't even present. He even said, I'll come and heal. You remember what the centurion said? You don't have to go to my house. I know how this operates. All you have to do is speak the word. You have the authority to speak the word. Jesus marveled at his faith. And, and, and Jesus said, well, go. Be it according to your faith. He gets home. He finds the person healed. What time did it happen? About the time he was up there talking to that rabbi. Jesus didn't even have to be there. You know what? He sent his word to heal them. That's what the Bible says. He sent his word to heal them. But some cases, he was present and spoke healing over people. Go show yourself to the priest. What one case, he spit on the ground, made mud, smeared in the blind man's eyes. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Do you realize he did many healings different ways? But today we see that sometimes it doesn't always work out the way that we think it should work out. Healing does not come or maybe it's limited. I'd love to tell you why that's the case. But I think maybe we have to get to heaven to understand all that. Why do we pray for this person? We see God move. We, we pray for this person. We, we don't see him move over here for this person. Here's some things that I, I know is true. Sometimes it's a lack of faith. The Bible says Jesus went to some cities and could do no major miracles there because of what? Their lack of faith. But here's Paul, chosen vessel of God. He, he said, Lord, I've got this infirmity. A messenger of Satan's coming to buffet me. I asked the Lord three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. And the Lord didn't take it away. But this is what he did say. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't know 
why he didn't take it away from Paul. I don't even know what it was. Matter of fact, you don't know what it was. I've heard a lot of conjecture on what it was. He had bad eyesight. He had this disease. He had that. You know, what, what. But whatever it was, this is what I know. The Lord didn't take it away. Let me give you a verse. We alluded to this this morning too. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I wanted to give you the verse tonight, verses 19-20. This is Paul ending out literally his letter here, and he's, he's talking about some people who minister with him. He says, Greet Prisca, which we believe is Priscilla, and Aquila, and the household of Onesphorus, and Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Everybody see that? Paul, I'm not getting this. You're the guy who's going around healing everybody. You're the guy over here that's raising people from the dead. You're over here doing miracle signs and wonders, and you're leaving one of your own guys home sick. Here's my question. Why didn't you go in there and just lay hands on him, raise him up whole? It's a good question, isn't it? And I think if we asked Paul tonight, he would say, well, I did that, but for some reason, he's still sick. And I had to leave him at home. Everybody okay? How many of you believe that's in the Word of God right there? There are times we prayed for people, and it didn't happen like we wanted. There's times we prayed for people, we've seen supernatural things. I cannot personally tell you why that happens. But I know it happens. But there's a lot of people who's got all the answers, so you need to ask them. But I know that the Word of God says, he said, I left him in Miletus. He's still sick. So he moved on. Now, what about the gift of miracles? We're going to wrap this up here tonight. I don't want to hold you for a long time. The distinct ability to perform supernatural acts as an agent of God, which alters the expected course of nature. A miracle literally changes the course of nature. Now, we all believe in a miracle-working God. And some people can pray and see things supernaturally happen in their life. Miracles draw attention to God and glorify God. Miracles alter the course of human events and nature. Now, what I did, I listed some Old Testament figures here because you will recognize them as people who did the miraculous. What about Moses? Well, listen, holding the shepherd's staff or the rod up over Egypt and the ten plagues that come down, that's pretty miraculous, isn't it? Or getting to the Red Sea and, and holding the rod up over the Red Sea and the waters part, that's pretty miraculous. Or getting water out of a rock or manna coming down from heaven. Folks, these people lived in the atmosphere of the miraculous. Why in the world are they always complaining? They're living in the atmosphere of the miraculous. But yet, that, that was just kind of their deal. What about Elijah? I mean, this guy walks in to the most powerful man in Israel, and he says, it will not rain again until I say so. Now, I don't know if you've got any faith to go do that. And chances are, once I said that, I'd hear probably thunder in the background. But do you realize that when Elijah heard the word of God, he operated in faith. He walked in there and he said, King Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. And in about three, three and a half years, it rained. That's pretty miraculous. 
or to see a mill barrel never go dry, or a cruise of oil never empty, or we have Elisha down here to have someone's body hit his bones and resurrect, or to lay down on a dead body and see that dead body come back to life. I mean, these people, they operated in the supernatural gift of miracles. But let's go to the New Testament. Do you know the New Testament is full of miracles? The virgin birth? That's pretty miraculous. Mary thought it was. How can this be seen? I've never known a man. You can't have a baby without knowing a man. And the angel Gabriel said, oh yeah, you can. For with God, all things are possible. The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you, and that which is conceived of you is the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to a son. Uh, what about turning water into wine? That's pretty miraculous. I always thought, how would you have liked to have been one of those servants? Here Mary is. They're at Canaan. She goes to Jesus and says, Now, son, they've run out of refreshments here. They've run out of wine. And I know you can do something about this. And Jesus kind of said, Woman, hey, this, this is really not my time. But how many of you know every good son needs to listen to his mama? Now, moms, this would have been a good time for you to amen me here. And he said, okay, servants, get the water pot, get, get the pots and fill them full of water and bear them to the priest. So here are these servants. They get the water pots. They know what they put in there. They know this is water. And as they're bearing these water pots to the governor of the feast, somewhere between there and there, it turns into wine. And when that governor takes his cup and he dips it in there and he begins to drink, he said, you've saved the best to last. There was a miracle that happened there. Uh, what about calming the wind and the waves? Standing on the bow of the ship saying, peace be still. And it was still. That was a miracle. I always like to interject this because I think it's kind of good for you to know. Do you remember he was in the back of the boat asleep? And the disciples had to go wake him up. And they were fearful. They thought they were going to die. And, and they shook him. And they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? We're dying out here. Now, I always say this. He's sleeping in the back of the boat as the son of man because he's tired. But how do you know when he got to the bow of the ship and he began to speak to the wind and the waves, he stood there as the son of God. He went from the back of the ship as the son of man to the front of the ship as the son of God. And I always like to interject this too. The wind and the waves when he spoke said this to each other. I recognize that voice. Because when I came into being, that's the voice I heard. Because everything was created by the word of God. And so the wind and the waves heard his voice and they obeyed the voice of the Creator. Hallelujah. That will give you God bumps just thinking about it. I'm about to preach myself happy. Uh, what about walking on the water? That's pretty miraculous. Uh, cursing the fig tree. That's pretty miraculous. 
Let's throw some others in there. What about feeding 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with a few loaves of bread and a few small fish? I mean, this kid had been to Long John Silver's, hadn't he? But it fed over 5,000 people. That's a miracle. What about telling Peter, hey, Peter, go down and, and catch a fish. We need to pay our taxes. I've been looking for that fish for a long time. <laughs> Open the fish's mouth and there's going to be enough money in that fish's mouth to pay our taxes. That's miraculous. That's a miracle. And guess what? When he ascended to heaven, the miracles continued. So this wasn't just an Old Testament thing. It wasn't just a Jesus thing, although it's always a Jesus thing, right? What about the apostles supernaturally released from prison? Hey, didn't we put these guys in prison? They're out here on the streets again. How did they get out? We don't know. We put them in prison. Did you lock the door? Yeah, we locked the door. Did you chain them up? Yeah, we chained them up. Well, they're out here on the street again. What about Peter? Herod kills James. Th then he's looking to kill Peter the next day. And then the angel comes and taps Peter on the side, says, Peter, get up. We're, we're going to leave. And when he gets up, the chains just fall off of him. That's miraculous. Paul, he's preaching, and someone is opposing him as he preaches. And he looks at the person. And he smites him with blindness. Now that was kind of a reverse healing. <laughs> what is that? It's a miracle. I mean, it changes the course of nature. It changes the course of, uh, of what should be. And he says, you're going to be blind. And they had to lead the guy out because he's blind. What about the young man who is listening to Paul preach? I always love this passage because I'm a preacher. Dow's probably loving this because he's a preacher too. The, the passage says Paul preached so long. You think I'm a long-winded preacher? Just wait till Paul pastors this church. The Bible says he preached till midnight. I got five hours to go. Says he preached till midnight. There was a young man sitting on the windowsill three stories up and he fell asleep and he landed in the street below outside of the building. You know what Paul did? He walked down there and said, how dare you go to sleep while I'm preaching. So what he did. You know what he did? He raised him from the dead. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. What about surviving an intense storm in a shipwreck? And telling everybody on board before the ship wrecks, if you stay in the boat, you'll survive. And when they did survive, when the snake bit Paul out of the wood where he was gathering for the fire, Paul just shook it off in the fire. And he didn't die, and everybody knew he should have died. What is that? That's a miracle. So we see not only the miraculous power in the Old Testament, folks, when you're a Joshua and you point to the sun and you say, Son, stand still until I'm finished with this battle. That's a pretty big miracle. When the sun obeys a child of God. That's miraculous. Or Paul shaking a snake off in the fire and he doesn't die. 
But you know what? I, I think all of us here, we've seen the hand of God move in ways that we could not explain. H have you seen God move in ways you couldn't explain? I I've seen it. Some of you have seen maybe a car wreck or an accident or maybe it's a job or, or money or, or something that's unexplainable that God did. You know what that proves to me? God is still in the miracle working business. God is still a supernatural God. And anything else is describing him as what he's not. And so we want to look at him as who he is. We want to receive him as who he is. And we also want to walk in the giftedness of what is available to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gifts believers as it pleases God to do the work that profits everyone. And so we need to see that happen every Sunday morning. In classes, people teaching, people praying, people singing, people ministering around this altar, people giving people what God has used them to give and to um, impart so we can what? We can be healthy, we can grow, we, we can have insight, we can know what's counterfeit, we know what's real, and we begin to see God move in ways. Now, folks, one of the reasons I think, and, and I've seen this so many times, and I've even seen it uh, personally, because w w when you get out of America, when you get out of the United States, it is drastically different. We have so much at our disposal today that we're looking here and there, and I'm not faulting anybody because we all do that. I do that. But let me tell you, when you're in a third world country, sometimes God is your only source. You can't run down to urgent man. You can't run to the clinic. You can't run to the hospital because there is none. And you know what? Sometimes we say, well, how come some of those miracles happen over there and we don't see them here? I'll tell you why. Because that's their only source. And so God has to come through. And he does come through. But guess what? He'll come through for us too. So we're believing that. We're, we're, we're receiving that. We embrace that. We're believing that God is a miracle-working God. The Holy Spirit is gifted believers. And every believer can operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe that tonight? Stand with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.